seven. Hey man, good morning. My name's Ross, I'm one of the pastors here. I serve as senior pastor. Welcome to those of you online. So happy that you're joining us. I'm excited to be back with you. Uh, if you didn't know over the last few weeks, I've taken some time away for a very important reason for our family. Uh, we welcomed our newest little addition, Marigold, to the world. Uh, I have a picture up here for you somewhere. There she is. Yeah, she's so sweet. And um, we're just so overjoyed uh, and excited and blessed that the Lord would um, allow us just to just shepherd and shape one of his little girls. And super excited for our family. So we went from a family of four to five, three littles and two of us adults. And you can picture, you know, our other kids are a year and a half, three and a half. And so you can picture just the Lord delighting in our lack of sleep, you know? And like you, yeah, I bared so much. No, just kidding. He doesn't do that. Uh, but honestly, strengthening us and just um, helping us. Because if you have that many kids, you know that it's kind of like before you had two, you're one-on-one. And you're like kind of drowning in a pool. And then someone hands you a baby. And then you got to manage that extra one <laughs> drowning in a pool. Uh, that was Jim Gaffigan, actually. He said that. It was so funny. So I think that oftentimes, you know, I, I, I feel like I don't pause to say thank you to God for that kind of stuff, for just the growing of our families or just the shaping of, of us personally. Um, and so thanks for just allowing me to be with my family, to say thank you to him a lot over the last few weeks. Uh, but I'm so excited to continue in our series. You know, um, as we're jumping into Sermon on the Mount, we're going to continue into Matthew 5. And Pastor Mark uh, opened it up with us a few weeks ago now. And what I love about what we're building here at Hope Church through our teaching and preaching team is that we're able to really carry what we believe God's delivering us as a church collectively to walk through. And this is one of those. Pastor Mark, for a, a little while now, as we were sitting and talking and praying, uh, had said, you know, this has been on his heart for us to walk through as a church collectively for a bit now. And as I was praying and asking the Lord, where would, uh, God, you want this to be placed? This was the perfect time to place it. And I, I believe the same about Pastor Marty as we just continue to grow that team and, and sit and soak in the word together. And we're collectively directed as a body and as a teaching team. So I, I'm overly joyed and excited that that we're walking through this series. We get to listen after the words of Jesus. Then if you are new with us, if you're just not joining in the middle of this, here's a quick recap of, of how far we've come so far. We've just introduced it, this moment where Jesus, he's sitting on a mountainside, begins preaching and teaching to his disciples and others who surround him. And as I've been reading through it personally, I hope you've taken that challenge too, to read through Matthew 5 through 7. Um, we begin to see this two different depictions of kingdoms at play here, the kingdom of the world in which we live, and yet Jesus introducing the reality of the kingdom of God and where we belong. And this beautiful reality that if we belong to Jesus, if we're his disciples, if we're following after him, if we surrender to the lordship of Christ, then we belong to his kingdom and his alone. Uh, there's no mutual uh, belonging here, yet we live in the world. We're not out of it. We're of the kingdom of God, which is his, and we live within that. We, we, we strive to, to um, honor and serve God in his kingdom. And thus, in the, in the certainly the world we live today, we get to be a reflection of him. And there's where this passage is coming into play this morning. But what I want you to learn today, if you walk away with anything, let me encourage you, is this. As followers of Jesus, we are created to have influence and impact on the world around us. As followers of Jesus, disciples of him, we were created to have influence and impact 
on the world around us. The main passage today, like I said, is Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Let's jump in together and and read it. You can grab a a Bible right under your seat or pull it up on your phone, wherever you'd like, but I'll read it out loud for us all today as well. Starts in verse 13. Jesus is saying this, you are salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's open in a word of prayer together. Father, I thank you so much that this morning we're able to meet collectively together and walk through your word. And God, I entrust that this time would be led and directed by your Holy Spirit. That God, we would welcome that in our own personal walk with you. Wherever someone in the room may be with you, God, that they can take a a moment and step with you and listen. But God, may your word, and Jesus specifically your word this morning, through scripture, just be so vibrantly loud to us and, and pierce our hearts and pierce our way of life in which we may live to bring honor and glory to you. You know, we love you and trust you with our time with you and collectively together. In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, I went on a whitewater rafting trip. Any whitewater rafters in the crowd today or maybe online? Yes. So just from that statement alone, what you can assume of me is that I'm a daredevil, okay, and I take risks, all right? But whitewater rafting is one of those exciting adventures that if you haven't been able to go on, I would encourage you, if you can, uh, to jump into a raft and go down the rapids of water. In this process, if you don't know much about it, essentially you build up a team, maybe six of you, and you hire a guide to take you down uh, a river, a waterway that would have rapids, which are graded on a scale. Okay, So these rapids are graded on a scale between one and six, one being little bitty small rapids, the six being giant, could kill you rapids, okay? And through this whole process of scaling those, professionals get out there and I guess maybe come close to death and say, that was a six or something like that. I don't know how they scale that. I don't know if the Lord, they they call him, hey God, what is the scale? You know, I don't know. They, they do that professionally. But I think as far as what we were on in this specific trip, it, it was between like four and five. So risky. See, I'm proving to you that I'm a risk taker, okay? Uh, But it was between four and five. And so a group of friends and I, we went to this uh, place that had instructors. We uh, paid a fee, hired a guide to go down on this rafting trip to have this blast of a time and almost die or whatever they promised in that moment. And most likely when you go rafting, you need a guide because they know the way of the water and also which way to keep you safe or somewhat safe within the raft that you're not uh, falling off or bucking off or potentially drowning and all of that. And so through this process, I'm, I'm jazzed. I'm so excited. And let's get after this. They start giving me my gear, such as my life jacket and helmet, my paddle, and I already have my shoes on that I'm going to wear and ruin in the water. It's going to be great. But through this process, the next step surprised me as they said, all right, we're going to pick up the raft together. And I'm like, we're going to get in the water. But really what we did is we went over to a staging area and sat it on the ground. And over the next many minutes, the guide would begin to teach us his call and command by his voice in which we are to row forward or backward by saying things like forward. And we would all practice rowing forward in the raft. Backwards, backwards, left, only left, right, right. And to my surprise, 
it was helpful. I mean, like, look at me, the average Joe getting into a raft. I don't paddle board or do all the other board stuff you guys probably do around here on the river. I don't do that as much. And so I needed that practice. But then it got to a point of interesting turn of events where he then said, okay, we're going to practice survival tactics. I said, okay, what might they be? When I say all in, I need you to jump to the center of the boat together collectively and hold on to each other. Okay. All in. You jump in and it's like a game of football. It's fun. That's great. When I say all to the right, everyone jump to the right of the boat. And trust me, it's going to be okay. It's going to get us through rapid. Okay. Sure. And he's like, all right, are you ready for the last one? Yep. So we get to this point where we're stopped. And he says, okay, I need all of you to yell, scream as loud as you can. Okay. Ah! Okay, now listen for my voice. Okay, ah, forward, ah, to the right, ah, all in, ah, this kind of stuff, right? You can picture it goes on and on. In my mind, I'm like, okay, you know, I was up and excited for all the way to this point. This just feels interesting and weird. I don't know what's going on. To my surprise, he addresses it like he read my mind, and he said something like this. When things get wild... And it gets loud. Listen for my voice. I'll guide you. I'll be there. My voice is the only instruction that matters when we are in the rapids. How similar a reality of those of us who would surrender and follow Jesus. That if we were to think of the Christian life in light of who would be our guide, but better yet, who would be our Lord? Who would be our master? Who would be the one in which we would give everything for to serve and obey and show us the way in which it would look to live in his kingdom, to live by his way and and rule, to live in his authority? And that's what we begin to see if we really think on the Sermon of the Mount differently than maybe we have before. If we don't just read through it quickly and we pause, we recognize that All scriptures God breathed and useful for the training and righteousness before us, for sure, all of it. But yet we get a really intriguing moment of listening to the words of Jesus. And as our master and Lord, we have an opportunity to reflect and take step with him in a new way, a new rule for our life, for eternity, but also to be impactful for today. And so whenever I summarize the the moment in which I want you to learn that you have influence and impact, it's because I believe God's pushing us into further influence and impact in our world today. Yet, although we belong to a kingdom of God that is yet to come in fullness, each of us find our identity and mission in our relationship with God. He is our guiding light. He is our master. He is our Lord in which we surrender all to follow but that he desires for us to have influence and impact on the world around us. Yet, what does that look like? Point number one, if you're following along with us uh, in notes, is this. We are salt. We are salt to a world in in decay. Matthew 5.13, I'm going to call this kind of 5.13a, because I'm not going to get to the fullness of the passage, uh, the verse yet. But Jesus says this and opens. You are salt of the earth. And you think, he's defining us as salt. Us, disciples of him, those presently then, you are salt of the earth. And the the key phrase here is you are. That it's not Jesus leaving you to maybe be or hopefully become or maybe try hard enough and you will be. 
He's saying, no, as disciples of me, you are. And that raises the question, what's so important about salt? They would use this as an illustration for the way in which we are to live. And in these times, specifically in this time Jesus is speaking, salt was this valued, really heavily valued commodity and resource that many would would often work, even Roman soldiers would work to be paid in salt, thus coining the phrase that they're worth their salt. So they would use this in, in, in preserving their foods and, and, and all these different things in a valuable, resourceful way. And so we can see in picture Jesus reminding the disciples that, hey, you are valuable in my kingdom. All of us are valuable because we're created by him. But yet the reminder, you're valuable like salt is, but yet you're salt to the earth, which again, what's the deal with salt? But furthermore, in the ancient world in this time, salt was used for many things. And two specifically I want to walk through with you today that I believe gets at the heart of what Jesus is, is portraying, is, is leading and guiding and, and saying as the master to the few disciples in the moment, but to the many of us today, that in the ancient world it had two primary functions. One was purity. The second was preservation. I believe this is what Jesus was getting after when it came to calling to have influence in our world. To be salt, to have influence for Christ in our world, Number one, we must be committed to purity and obedience to Christ. We must commit to purity and obedience to Christ. That The reality that to, to be full of him, to, to walk after him, to be salt of the earth, we must first start in understanding our influence comes with the purity in which we live, a faithful life in him. Purity in our life actually brings power to our proclamation of Christ to begin with. As we seek after a pure, wholehearted life, it powers our proclamation of him. Matthew 5, 8, Pastor Mark just walked through it, you know, just, just last week, because we are pure in heart, we will see God. So simply put, purity is freedom from any contamination in our life. And yet we begin to see Jesus compound on this idea that, that, that but if salt loses saltiness, how can it not be made salty again? So we're good for anything. But yeah, if we pause and think of how a pure life is freedom from any contamination, maybe we should reflect on a series we were just recently in, if you're with us, that talked of some things that would bring impurities in our life. Galatians 5, when we walk through the fruit of the Spirit, we see this from Paul in verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, and selfish ambitions lead us to a life of contaminant impurities, which could harm our purity in Christ. How might we make our way pure, though, would lead us to the next question. Psalm 119.9 reminds us, how can a young person then stay in a way of purity? And what does it say next? Doesn't say go buy the fashion, the, the most famous clothes and wear them. Doesn't say just show up to church and all will be good. But it says, by living according to your word, God's word, his word, is how we may be on a path of purity in our life. And if we were to continue through just that reminder in fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, that then thus these are the, the acts of the flesh within the acts of the Spirit, and purity, wholeness isn't in us, is those things love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and, and many more So as Jesus continues to use this illustration of salt, it can be quick to say it's so simple, but yet the profounding change in our life that it begins 
can be ever so life-changing and complex because we're called to greater purity to continue to capture our influence on a world around us for him, for his purposes, for his glory and goodness. Like I mentioned before, if we continue in that five, Matthew 5, 13b, it said that, but if salt loses saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. We think naturally of, of chemistry and chemistry teachers in here. One, great. We should, we should talk. Uh, no, I, I knew there was one and I knew he was over there. Um, but e- either way, chemistry's sake, salt is a really, um, kind of hard, like, like can, can run on its own. It's sodium and chloride. When those are mixed, it's salt, the table salt we know. And, and, and it's hard to break that. Like naturally you could leave salt on your shelf for a really long time. And as long as it's safe from water or different things, it's going to withstand and uphold its value of salt. You could use it years from now. We've all been in our pantries and found salt from like 10 years ago and then just used it because you know it's still good. It's a compound that that holds for a long period of time. And so to this phrase of salt using its saltiness, it's kind of complex and hard to understand. But in the ancient times, specifically here when Jesus is speaking and even to us today, the reality of salt losing its saltiness comes when other contaminants are mixed with it. See, oftentimes in the valued commodity, they would then be searching for the purest form of salt, not to be contaminated with anything else. Because if it were contaminated with other chemicals or, 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 or things at play, it could vibrantly change the taste or lose its saltiness or usefulness to you, period. You wouldn't want it. The same can be true about a Christian life, uh, our pursuit of Christ. To be salt to have influence, God is faithful to preserve those who follow Jesus. To remain salt of the earth and effective, we must be preserved in the way of Christ, purely and holy, but by the way in which we walk and trust and act and following him. Like salt, if you didn't know, and the way it preserves meat, uh, meat, you know, you have a piece of meat. If you were to put salt on it to preserve it in a way, what you're doing is a chemical uh, a kind of inhibitor to essentially reduce the amount of water in which bacteria could grow on. That's the preserving agent of salt in a way, the preserving way of salt. And so in this same attitude, if, if God provides the preservation in us as disciples of Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit, by the way in which we are commit to him, then that means applying a Christian faithful life, living according to his word, as scripture asks us to, we are then acting as salt of the earth and being preserved for his goodness for his purpose, for his way, by his power in us. Beautiful part about salts is it can't just stick with you. This is that, that, that leading up to the mission in which we're on to portray a vibrant, flavorful life, a vibrant, flavorful Christian life for the world to see around us. And yes, salt does add flavor to your food. We all know that. And it's a beautiful thing that it does. But here we see that, that, that Jesus is portraying much more than talking about simple salt and what it was used for at the time, but a really intrinsic, valuable way in which we can live to be on display for the world around us. But yet, yeah, back to when salt loses its saltiness, we think of uh, those chemical agents that can be mixed with salt to, to make it less, de- depreciate it in a way. Uh, what would that look like for our life, though? 
What might make us less salty? For the teenagers in the room, I'm not talking about salty as angry, okay? That is a phrase in teenage land. If you're salty, you're mad. Don't make me salty, you know? Not that. I still know you, teenagers. Parents, you should use that. You should use that when you get home. Hey, you need to go clean your room. No, I'm about to be salty with you. I don't even know. But how might we lose that? You think like, like, when Jesus is saying, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown underfoot. Salt loses saltiness. What, what might that look like in our Christian walk even today? And as I was praying and walking through the scriptures, one glaring piece that we see throughout different accounts is this reality of compromise. Compromise is a deadly disease that devours our witness and proclamation to the world for Christ. When we're taken captive by materialism, by political agenda, by foolish actions and lack of purity, we've compromised our, our Christian walk and thus put it above Christ. We've lost our saltiness. We've lost the attractiveness, the flavor of what a Christian life can truly look like when we've introduced compromise. And Brennan Manning, a famous author, priest, says something in relate to this when it comes to the idea of compromise in the Christian walk and world today. He says this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world truly, simply finds unbelievable. They've lost their saltiness due to compromise. They, they, they've chosen others above Christ. They've chosen their desires, materialism, all the things that lack uh, impurities, their own way, and exchanged it for his. Compromise, my friends, is a deadly disease that attracts us in the world we live in, but we're not us. That entices us, that draws us, that says this is the way, but yet in a world full of chaos, of yelling, this is the way. There's Jesus reminding you as a masterful guide, no, trust me, all in, it's dangerous. No, trust me, paddle back, it's wrong. Maybe that strikes you, and maybe you could consider this week pausing and spending time to connect with God personally and asking that question of compromise in your own life. Because where compromise is continual, without repentance, continual in the face of conviction, where compromise is continual, it must question your original commitment and surrender. And no, not that anything can separate you from the love of God or yet you could lose your salvation, but yet if you're walking away from God in a season, fully arms distance at him, you must question your current state of surrender and obedience to him to begin with if compromise is at play. If we continue our compromise work, Christian friends, we're going to lose the walk in which he's called us to, to be salt of the earth for all to see the flavor and goodness of what it looks like to follow Christ. We will fulfill the very words of Brennan Manning, which would, would be a heartbreak for us and causing others to walk away for the life we put on display that is not to, to him and for his righteousness alone. Point number two, if you're following along, is we are light to a world in darkness. Jesus continues this display on the impact we have on the world. 
Matthew 5, 14 says this, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And I love this illustration by Jesus because it's so simple and timely and true for us today. We live in the land of hills. Although it's the Midwest, I feel like the Midwest promises there's no hills, but yet we're here in Dubuque, Iowa, and there's hills everywhere. Believe it or not, when I first moved here, I would ask my brother-in-law and say, take me to the largest hill and let's drive up it and down it. I just, I just it was fun. Because thinking of growing up in Indiana, there's no hills anywhere. It's as flat as the flat earth. Just kidding, just kidding. That was a trigger, just kidding. Just kidding. But it was so flat. Like, truly, it was so flat. But here, it's so hilly. We know hills. We see them. We live in them. How timely and true God's word is that a, that a house on a hill, a town built on it, cannot be hidden. Why? It's above all else and enlightened to the full. Nothing can stop that. Neither do people light a lamp or put it under a bowl. And I love the practical illustration here of Jesus. That you think of how crazy you would be to put a light under a bowl that you were in need of the light to begin with to try to hide it. But yet it gives light to everyone else in the house and so you must let it shine bright. And then he switches the phrase from these illustrations to the application in our own life. So in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Verse 15 parallels with Luke 11, 33, but also a famous kid's song that goes something like this. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. All around the neighborhood, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan blow it out, I'm going to let it shine. Or if you're my kids, don't let Satan it out, I'm going to let it shine. In the same way, Jesus calls us to shine before others, giving in this missional movement of his people, that in the same way as a town cannot be hidden, yet you would not hide a lamp in your own house. Let your light shine before others, that it may that it may see your, that the world may see your good deeds and do what? And give glory to your Father in heaven. May not see your good deeds and give you the things you want. Give you the popularity you feel you need give you the raise or the money or the pursuit of materialism that you desperately want in this season for whatever reason, but that they would see your good deeds and glorify who? Not you, but he. Not you, but our Father in heaven. They see your good deeds. What might they be in the way we serve, the way we love, the way we care for our neighbors? the way we live a salt-filled life of pursuit of Christ in purity and humility, being gentle and kind, trustworthy and sincere, that the mission's end goal is to bring him glory through all such things. Jesus applies his image of light to us. If we're reminded in John 8, 12, he says this, when Jesus spoke again into the people, he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so for the light to be true in you, which Jesus reminds us in Matthew 5, it's to be fully embedded in him. 
letting his light shine through you for all the world to see. Charles Spurgeon said this also, Christ has lighted us that we might enlighten the world. And how beautiful an opportunity that is for us who call on Jesus as Lord, as master, and listen to his way and his will and his kingdom. That we are able to put on display a God who is loving and kind, who is just and merciful, who is righteous and good. And yet by the way in which of your life, the world's able to see. Oftentimes in our life, when things are broken in our homes, we throw them out. It's the next step. If it's broken, we don't want it anymore. We can't fix it or resolve it. And the beautiful part about our Lord is that he sees his people broken. And yet in his choice, he doesn't throw them out. But actually, on the contrary, he decides to fix them, to heal them, to mend them from broken things into beautiful things. But not only that, puts them on front of display to show his power, his glory, to show his goodness for the world to see. May you be salty, not in the upset way, but may you be full of his light so that all may see and turn to him. Jesus, I thank you so much for um, the time with you this morning as a collective body of of believers and, and those just, just taking first steps with you, God, wherever we're at. I'm just so grateful that we're able to be here with you. So Father, I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would impress upon your word on our hearts to make it true for our life, that we are able to walk obediently with you, seek after pure lives under obedience in you, and God, ultimately be lights shining bright in a world that needs you. God, how good is your kingdom and kingdom to come? And I pray that you would help us see in the good ways you're working even today, Lord, that you would help us see how we could truly be light for you. God, I thank you for Hope Church. I thank you for Dubuque, Iowa. I thank you for the tri-state and beyond. Um, those online, I thank you that you're able to mend us broken, sinful beings, but yet place righteousness on us by your son, Jesus, to then equip us to live a life worthy of our calling, but in reflection of you. May many see you by the way we live. Lord, we love you and trust you and thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.